excited because uh, Pastor John is here with us. And how many of you follow him on social media? Raise your hand. If you do not, you need to follow him. We'll put up a graphic in a little bit that has that. But you need to follow him because he's speaking truth right now. And a lot of people are afraid to speak the truth because they're afraid of the consequences. But what Pastor John understands is if we don't speak the truth, those are the consequences he's more concerned with. Is when good, God-fearing people that have the Lord inside of them keep silent because the enemy is coming at them and they're more afraid of the enemy than, than not pleasing the God of the universe that lives on the inside of them. So here's the thing. He's gonna preach the walls down today in this house. So here's what we're gonna do. Freedom House Church, this is how we do it around here. You jump up on your feet and give it up for Pastor John. Come on. How's everybody doing this morning? I said, how's everybody doing this morning? Can we make some stadium noise for the God of the Bible? We celebrate Jesus. Come on, open up your mouth and give God some glory in this place. If you know that the Lord is good and worthy of all of the praise, reverence his holy name one more time. Come on, come on, come on. What a joy it is to be here at Freedom House. I want to thank God for Pastor Troy and Pastor Penny. Come on, let's give them a big hand. Come on, thank you for bringing me in and allowing me to minister with you all this morning. And to the campus pastors, God bless you both. Thank you so much. Let's give them a big hand as well. To all of the leadership, all of the staff, to Jenny, I appreciate you so much for all of your help and support and getting this event together. I thank God for my wife this morning, the wife of my youth. Come on, can you thank God for my wife also? We've been married now for 15 years, and she's blessed me with three children. Notice I said she blessed me with three children. We live in a day today where people think that men can get pregnant. We are starting, starting to confuse a man's beer gut with their ability to bring forth a child. Only women can get pregnant. What do y'all think about that? And so I want you to come with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 6. I'll pick up my text there. Proverbs chapter 6. We'll read from verses 16 through 19. Proverbs chapter 6. That's where we'll take our focus from this morning. And it reads, there are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So the writer here is getting ready to tell us the seven things that God views as detestable. Oftentimes we want to find ways to please God, but you can best do that and ascertain how you can righteously please God through knowing what God is against. And so number one, he makes it plain. He said, God hates a proud 
Look, God abhors pride. He hates pride in January, February, March, April. Y'all know where I'm going. May and in the month of God abhors pride. Number two, he hates a lying tongue. Some people will tell a lie when the truth will do. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. God hates busybodies. He hates people who create strife and innuendo, and they create problems. You know, if you get rid of the scorner, strife will cease. If you, get, if you get rid of the troublemaker, it seems like things go better when that happens. Look to your left and to your right. Don't call any names. But we know, we know <laughs> at times where trouble is coming from. And sometimes God won't send the troublemakers away. He keeps them in their place just to remind us to look towards him. But somewhere along the way, God removes that troublemaker. So there are seven things that God hates. And this morning, we will key in on, in particular, the third thing that the text mentions, which is hands that shed innocent blood. I would like to render a sermon in your hearing entitled, Murder She Wrote. Murder, she wrote. Raise your hand if you remember that docu-series. All right. Awesome. Good. You just dated yourself. <laughs> this morning, we will talk about the true racism of abortion. By those who claim to be woke, we will talk about planned, planted in the hood parenthood, Margaret Sanger, and... The wimpy church that we see today. Murder, She Wrote was an American crime drama television series starring Angela Lansbury, who played Jessica Fletcher as mystery writer and amateur detective. The series aired for 12 seasons with 264 episodes from 1984 to 1996 on the CBS network. In its prime, this show had 30 million live viewers. The show opens like this. Oftentimes it would say, tonight on murder, she wrote. And then it would go into Jessica's act as she used creative clues and ways to keep the people who are watching strung along in her depictive viewpoint of who the murderer was. Because of this, a syndrome was accounted to this act called Cabot Cove Syndrome because of the number of bodies that were found dead around that region. Whereas Murder, She Wrote was a fictional drama depicting heinous acts and crimes, today we have a real-life murder saga of Murder, She Wrote that was etched out by the hands of Margaret Sanger. It was once said that a sermon without a point is a pointless sermon. And if there's any point that I will hope that you would take away from this sermon, it is that God judges us individually 
but he judges nations collectively. God judges us, we at the church, individually. You know, you can't get saved on the family plan. Salvation does not work like Verizon and Boost Mobile and Cricket and Sprint and Patriot Mobile. Amen, somebody. It doesn't work like that. You must come before God as an individual asking God to save you. The Bible tells us that every man shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what they have done in their bodies, whether it be good or bad. Then Paul goes on and says, and knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the judgment of the Lord, we persuade men. In the Pledges of Allegiance, we say that we are one nation under God. But today, we are not simply a nation under God. We have become a nation of little gods. Man is beginning to think that he is God and that there is no use for the God of the Bible or the God of the universe. But that's where man has it wrong. Psalm 14 and 1 tells us that the fool, the fool, not the intellectually astute person, but the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. How can the created instruct the creator? How can man that was formed and fashioned in the image of God, how can he now give God a bad conduct list? Or tell God that he fashioned me in the wrong way. Or instruct God on what God should and should not do. That's the problem with America today. We have become a nation of little gods. But our arms are too short to box with God. God doesn't even have to look at you to kill you. All he has to say is send a hailstone and you'll die. God has all power. He has all strength. He has all might. And there's this thing called absolute truth. Absolute truth does not stem from man. Absolute truth stems from God. The basis of what is morally right and ethically right does not come from man. It doesn't come from the Republican Party. It doesn't come from the Democrat Party. It comes from the God of the Bible. A big head clap goes there. And so Proverbs 14 and 34 says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach against any People, if you want the favor of God, live righteously. But if you want the judgment of God, follow in the path of sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, there's a passage of scripture that depicts a heinous act that Saul had wrought upon the Gibeonites. It reads, then there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. I'll unpack that. At this time, David is on the throne. He is the king. Saul had been dead for nearly 30 years. But the blood of the Gibeonites cried out from the ground, and God wanted vengeance. So what did he do? He sent a consecutive three-year 
famine upon Israel. And David is perplexed because he doesn't know where this is coming from. And year one, he prays to God and asks for understanding as he looks out and he sees that the heaven is no longer producing any rain and the crops are not even yielding anymore. He's in trouble. He's, he's concerned. By year two, he's praying to God and asking for understanding. And by year three, he makes his trek to Jerusalem only to find out that God has judged Israel based upon something that Saul had done 30 years prior. And if God would judge Israel because of the sin of Saul, what do you think that God is going to do to America after we have allowed 65 million babies and counting to be aborted in this country with government support? God is angry with America. And because of this, we are in a famine. Everybody shout famine. The reason why common sense has become uncommon in government is because we are in a famine. The indoctrination of our children and the public school system is a result of not simply people being demonically possessed and holding on to beliefs that God abhors, not simply because man is filled with pride and we create and have wicked imaginations it's because we are in a famine who would have ever thought that three students in Wisconsin would be charged with sexual harassment what did they do they failed to call a student by their desired pronoun and because of this they are now charged with sexual harassment and we're also in a famine in America because pastors are becoming increasingly wimpy. The preacher has lost his or her authority to stand on God's truth. A big hand clap goes there. And so when you go to church today, you really don't know where the preacher stands. They do a good job of saying nothing well. You listen to them, and at the end of their sermon, you say, well, what do they really believe on the issues of today? But when you search the scriptures and you look at the prophets and you look at women like Deborah and you look at even the New Testament leaders and, that God used, many of these individuals were clear on where they stood when it came to cultural issues. But today, many of our preachers and evangelists, you need to find the FBI in a flashlight to find out where they stand and what they believe on issues that matter. We should not have to turn to MSNBC and CNN or even Fox to find out what God's word says. You should expect your preacher to tell you what thus saith the Lord. But here's the problem. Thus saith the Lord might get the preacher in trouble. And because preachers are afraid of sheep, they are now holding the truth in unrighteousness because they have lost their voice.
There are three things that every preacher needs. They need a jawbone, a backbone, and a tailbone. They need a jawbone so that they can speak up, a backbone so that they can stand up, and a tailbone so that they can hold up. But today, many of our preachers are jawless. We don't use the teeth of the gospel. We gum things down to soften it up. Many of our preachers are jellyback. I mean just jellyback, slithering preachers because they have lost their spine. And many of our preachers today are light in the pants. They can't withhold the pressure of speaking the truth. There are 10 things that pastors are afraid to say today. And I put on my big boy britches in my size 13 shoes. And so I'm going to tell you what these things are. Don't throw anything at me. I'm not as fast as I used to be. But I did play football at NC State, pound for pound, the strongest man on the football team. So go back. Go pack it here. Any, any, any wolf pack it here. We got a couple. All right. So here it is. The first thing that pastors are afraid to say today is this, that there is a such thing as heaven and hell. Has it occurred to you that we only preach about heaven, but we rarely talk about hell? Do you not know that everyone that proclaims that they're going to heaven is not going to go? Do you not know that there is a certain way that one has to live? You have to accept Christ as your personal Savior to make it to heaven. But today we put the axe murderer in heaven. We put everyone in heaven, even the dogs and the cat and the fish and the gerbil gets to heaven. But we are clear and we're true today that only those who name the name of Christ are going to see God in glory. A church that does not preach our final destination is a church that is lost. Our final destination is not the Taj Mahal. Our final destination is not making it to California or Aruba or a fancy trip or vacation. Our final destination is getting to heaven. We are sojourners down here. We're strangers, we're pilgrims, we're aliens. We are not even of this world. Our citizenship is of heaven. And one of these days, God is going to blow a trumpet. We don't know if it's going to be Michael, if it's going to be Gabriel, but the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ shall be the first to rise, and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Does anybody want to go with Jesus? And so, yes, preach about heaven, but remind the sinner about the implications of hell. Number two, the second thing that pastors are afraid to say today is this, that critical race theory has no place in the church, and it has no place in our public and private schools. We need to take it out to the trash can and remove it. So, What is critical race theory? Critical race theory is is a floating mass. It's hard to pin down and even interpret what it means because it's elusive. It always changes. But at the end of the day, critical race theory is the Jim Crow era in reverse. Not to the same extent, 
but there are some subtle similarities. I'll make it plain. We know we can all attest to the fact that the heinous things that blacks had to endure in America through slavery and Jim Crow, those things were evil. Can we agree on that? A big hand clap goes there. To be told that you can't drink from a dirty water fountain. Who wants to drink from a water fountain today? Nobody. But to be told that you couldn't drink at a certain water fountain because of the color of your skin, that was evil. Evil. It was evil to tell a person to go to the back of the building to get a fried chicken sandwich, okay? At the end of the day, it might clog your heart. You might have a heart attack. At the end of the day, you're going to die. But to tell a person that because of the color of their skin, that was evil. That's wrong. And then conversely, all right, here comes the pivot. Conversely, it's evil today to look at all of the white people in this church and say that you are responsible for Jim Crow. That's evil. A big hand clap goes there. You see, in order for critical race theory to thrive, which is essentially critical theory, which stems from the Frankfurt School of Germany. A man by the name of Karl Marx came up with this ideology. And if you, don't know, if you know anything about the Frankfurt School of Germany, you know that most of the ideologies that came out of the Frankfurt School of Germany were debaucheristic and hateful, which led to the killing of six million innocent Jews. So you don't want to get your ideologies and your viewpoint on how to deal with cultural issues from Marxism. You want to get it from the God of the Bible. You want to get your way of dealing with race and all of these issues from the scriptures and not from BLM. Come on, clap your hands. Not from the Black Lives Matters movement. Not from Jesse Jackson. Not from Reverend Al Sharpton. But you need to go and search the scriptures and find out what God says about these issues. Hear me this morning. In order for critical race theory to exist, there must be division. Who is the author of confusion? It is Satan. He is the one that from the beginning of time, he sought to divide in heaven, in glory. He was the angel of light. He was the one that deceived angels to convince them that he could reach higher than God. And hear me today. Critical race theory is also a false accusation because all whites are not inherently racist just as well as all blacks are not criminals. I know a lot of people who might be white, who may, may, they might espouse to a racist, racist thought. But I know a lot who don't. See, racism is not a skin tone or a color. Racism is sin. Romans 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that even black people can be racist. Hispanics can be racist. Pacific Islanders and Native Americans, we choose racism. Racism is a choice. And here's the thing. If you have a prejudice or bias towards your brother or sister in Christ, that will send you to hell. Hand clap, come on. Don't get quiet on me. 
We all must repent of all kinds of sin, even the sin of racism. And so it is today that Booker T. Washington said these words. He said in 1911, he said this. He said, there is a class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of Negroes, of the Negro race, before the public. He said, having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to leave to lose his grievances because they want they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. There are people who make money off keeping black people mad at white people. And whites mad at blacks. There are people who make money off of making the alphabet mafia hate those who are straight. There is always this oppressor versus oppressed dynamic. It's the rich versus the poor. It's the DNC versus the RNC. And let me make something plain. I don't get my talking points from the RNC or the DNC. I get my talking points from the B-I-B-L-E. That's where I get my talking points from. But everybody has some adjusting to do so that we can line up with the word of God. Hear me today, black America, white America, Asian America, Hispanic America, Americans of all colors and, and creeds, all shapes and sizes, some tall, some short, whatever it might be, do not allow the cultural marches to divide you. They will use anything that they possibly can to bring about division. And guess who loses every single time they push these race wars? Black people lose. They make us think that this is the worst nation on the face of the planet and a black man can't be successful in America. They want to make a victim out of you. But let me tell you something. I'm nobody's victim. I'm nobody's victim. Listen. I'm not a charity case. I don't need anybody's handout. I don't need anybody to go to work for me. I take care of my own family. I lead my own family. I take care of my black and beautiful wife. I do that. I don't need the government to give me welfare. Although that's necessary as a child growing up, we were on welfare for about six months. But my mother had this thing called pride. Pride can go both ways. It can be bad and good. She thought about the fact that her children had to go to the free and reduced lunch line. And she said, you know what? Before y'all have to do that another month, I'll take on another job. 
so that my kids can have the resources when they leave the home to go pay for a lunch. She did this taking care of four children, making no more than $28,000 a year. Hear me, black America. We need to focus on personal accountability. Going woke won't bring daddy home. Our issue is not the white man or the racist institution or the system. It's fatherlessness. It's men who get the booty, but they don't want to do the duty of taking care of the family. Y'all say something. You see, get married, start a family, own a home, don't rent all your life, put your money into one pot, build a wholesome family, get an education. If you don't like the public school system, homeschool, go to a private school, do something. But this country is the greatest nation on the face of the planet. I got to move on. I'm going to do this real quick. Number three, the third thing that pastors are afraid to say today is that there are only two genders. There aren't three or four or 72 different pronouns. The individual, Aubrey Hell, that went into that Tennessee school and killed those Christians, she was not simply a transgender. That transgender is not a word. It means nothing because there is not a third sex. She was demonically possessed and she committed a hate crime upon Christians. There are only two genders and hear me, it's a sad thing when men think that they can rob women out of their existence. A man will never be able to walk like a woman, sashay like a woman, have the body parts of a woman, do what women can do. Can I get my men to stand up and testify to that? Where are the men in here? Where are the men? Can I get the men to stand up? Come on, brothers. The Bible says that the glory of a man is the woman. See, we got this thing in reverse. We are allowing drag queens to go into our schools. They put on the fingernails. They put on the cosmetics. They put on the wig. They put on the lipstick. They put on the eyelashes. They put on the long dress. They put on the fishnet stockings. They walking there and they come in with all that glitter and all of that junk. And they read to our children. And guess what? Male teachers in the school system sit back in their seat and they watch it. I wish a Negro would. I wish. Hear me? I wish. Y'all can edit that later. Uh, are we live? Well, it's out there. I wish a Negro would. And we have these men who can't compete against men, so they go and compete against women. You are a punk. You are a punk for that. Hear me? All of the real men know that if you can't compete against the men, you just lose, dude. Don't go trying to compete against the women now. 
when I consider the, the swimmers that are out there being defrauded, they're now going to the platform, and you look to the left and the right, you see the women, then you look at the man, you're doing this. And you say to yourself, well, how did he get in the swimming pool? I don't know, because if my beautiful daughter, who's 12 years of age, if she was in that swimming pool getting ready to compete, a guy would not make it in because it would be WWE Raw. I'm jumping off the top rope. See, we're in trouble because our men are neutered. We have allowed feminists to chew us up and then spit us out. And now we lose the courage to have our voice. Men, get your voice back. Get your voice back. Don't sit around tinkering all day. Yes, make the resources and bring it in and help the family work together. But make sure every now and then you <clears throat> clear your throat and say something. We need our men to speak up. Another big hand clap goes there. Let me move along rather quickly. Number four, cowardice is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not. God does not call us to be cowards. He called us, calls us to be bold as lions. Number five, it's asinine to say that calling abortion murder is a white evangelical worldview. It's not a white evangelical worldview to view abortion as murder. It's a biblical worldview. God gave the children of Israel ten commandments. Number six was thou shall not kill. Thou shall not murder. It's simple and it is plain. Some people on the Democratic Party side, they try to convince blacks not to support Republican causes because at the end of the day, they make them think that it's a wedge issue and they're just trying to get your vote because they care about their children, they care about their babies. Look around. Black America makes, only 30, 30, only, makes up only 13% of the overall population in this country. There was a time that we were the largest minority group. That has changed. It changed because now Hispanics are the largest minority group. Why? Because by and large, they get, their women get pregnant and they keep their children. Because of their Catholic and faith beliefs, they believe in keeping their children. And what do we do? We support the party that wants to kill us. How can you want to kill me and get my vote at the same time? Why are we supporting stuff that wants to destroy us? Well, the Republicans are racist. Well, at the end of the day, you got to be born first to even experience racism. And I've come to find out that the true racist, I might get some, make somebody mad here. The true racist has always been those who supported the abortion industry. Your Margaret Sangers of the world. In particular, white liberals were the original, clap your hands. Y'all don't know how to take me. I don't feel bad. I don't know how to take me sometimes either. But at the end of the day, it is the truth. And we should not support a party that wants to kill us. All right, number six, God will not only judge us based upon what we have done in our bodies, he's going to judge us based upon how we vote. You can't vote one way and pray another. 
You can't claim to be born again. I'm a member of Freedom House. I love this church. I love Pastor Penny and Pastor Troy. But at the end of the day, you go into the voting booth and you support things that they preach against. Now, how are you going to do that? That's, that, that's, a, that's a neurotic problem. That's a neurological problem. You, something has to be wrong mentally for you to know what God says, but do opposite of what God says. That's what Romans calls haters of God. There are people who hate God so much that they disagree with God and they want to do everything they can to prove God wrong. But here's the problem. You'll never prove God wrong. Because God is right every day of the week. Number seven, marriage can be perverted, but it can't be redefined. Two men coming before an altar is a mess. Two women coming before an altar is a mess. It's only wholesome and right, regardless of what Barack Obama did and redefining marriage and decorating the White House in rainbow colors. Say amen, somebody. He was wrong. I'm a black man, and I'm going to tell you, he was wrong as two left shoes when he did that. And because of that, we now have this trans culture, and everyone is pushing this stuff down our throats everywhere you turn. We are all gagging on the rainbow flag. But here's the thing. God is going to judge America for her shortcomings and the church needs to get prepared because judgment will come here as well if we choose not to defend the truth of God's word. Number eight, ten mothers will never equate to one father. Ten fathers will never equate to one mother. Every child needs two parents actively involved in their life, a male and a female. Number nine, the public school system hates the God of the Bible. And if this is the case, how do we expect the public school system to properly train and teach our arrows? If you send your child off to Rome, don't be surprised if they come, if they come back acting as if they are a Roman. And finally, finally, number 10, you can't be pro-abortion and name the name of Christ at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't say that I'm blood-bought, translated from darkness to light, name the name of Christ, and at the same time, you support the killing of the most innocent amongst us. So the question is, with this famine that's in the land, in consideration of these 10 points, is there any hope for America? Is there any balm in Gilead? Is there any Mechanism by which, by which we can turn from the famine and turn towards life. And the answer is yes. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 that if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, 
and heal the land. Stand up on your feet and slip your hands up. We want God to hear from heaven. We want God to hear our sincere cry for repentance. Everyone wants to get to a revival. Hear me today. Repentance is up to us. But revival is up to God. If repentance is there, God will consequently send revival. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you this morning for your mercy and for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your favor and for your glory. We recognize, God, that we are nothing without you. And you are the only one that can get rid of this famine in America. You are the only one that can bring about healing and transformation. Lord, you are the one that can speak to the soul of the man who wants to be a woman and remind him that what you called him to be. You are the one that can speak to the soul of that woman who has lesbian tendencies and tell her that you created her for man. You are the one who can break strongholds. Come on and pray with me this morning. You are the one that can break strongholds. You are the one that can tear down yokes. You are the one that can tear down the fortresses in our minds. So today, God, we look unto you as the author and the finisher of our faith. We look unto you, Jesus, because you are the one that can bring deliverance. You are the God that delivers and answers by fire. You are the God that speaks things into existence and things have to happen. We ask this morning that you will move by your power, Lord. Move by your power. Move by your spirit. Because without you, God, we are nothing. But with you, we are everything. And because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, all fear is gone. Because we know who holds our future. And life is but the living just because he lives. Come on and open up your mouth and give God a voice of triumph this morning. <laughs>